Well, with that, I'm going to jump into our sermon today, which is part five of five of a series on relationships. And so if you missed any of these, they're all posted on the, the webpage on the podcast, so check it out. If not, if, if you don't have the time for that or if you're not going to do that, don't worry. I'll catch you up as best as I can. Um, you won't be lost. So we're right in the heart of a five-part series on practicing love uh, in relationships. So some of the things that we have talked about so far in the sermon series are gratitude, what do we, how do we show gratitude for the relationships that we have? Loneliness. What do we do with this aching, yawning loneliness that we all have in life? We've talked about vulnerability and how vulnerability and really opening up to one another is the fuel for relationships. Last week, we talked about conflict, which is interesting because whenever you preach, like God always gives you the, the lived experience of that. So I'm happy not to be preaching on that this week. Um, uh, but now we're in the final part, the fifth sermon, and it's about giving in relationships. And we're not just talking about good ideas and how-tos and self-help. All of that stuff is good. You'll find that on uh, the bookstores at Indigo uh, and on the shelves there. But we're trying to do the hard work of filtering all of these things through the cross, through the selfless love of Jesus. Because the love of Jesus is so different than the love that the world knows. So it's surprising some of what we come up with when we begin thinking about relationships like this. We've, um, last week we talked about relational conflict filtered to the cross and how we lead with our faults and with our weaknesses and, and then we can communicate our hurts. We're so often quick in relationships to enter in with our hurts and our feelings and all of that. But how, what does it look like when we enter in with our weaknesses and um, give you a little bit of some ideas about emotional competency if, you're feeling, um, if your feelings aren't hurt in a, in a conflict. But today we're talking about giving, giving in relationships. And as we do so, we're finishing up with the book of Philippians. Uh, the book of Philippians is a beautiful little letter that Paul wrote to a church in, in the first century. And this, I love this phrase that comes from um, Philippians chapter 2, be like Christ. And that's exactly what we're trying to do is what does it look like in every relationship to be like Christ? And so we're finishing off today with chapter 4. So let's jump in. Chapter 4 of Philippians um, has this to say. It was good of you to share in my troubles. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So Paul, if you remember, do you remember Paul is in jail when he's writing this letter? He's in prison. He is uh, not sometimes doing so hot. He's a, an emotional kind of guy. And so sometimes he says he's despairing even for his life. He's not sure if he's going to get out of this prison. And other times he's filled with joy. If you are, are you, do you, do you or are you someone or know someone who's an emotional roller coaster? I can be that. I can be an emotional roller coaster. I've, I've been mo that much of my life. I've been someone who um, has gone through my life with such tremendous highs and tremendous lows. And coming to embrace that, I talked about this in the vulnerability section, coming to embrace the passion that God has Im embedded in me as a human being and, uh, and the emotions that are there. And that's, that's Paul too. And when we come to the Christian faith, we're not here to ignore our emotions or stuff them inside as if they don't matter. They're a huge part of what it is to be in relationships. And so Paul's saying to Epaphroditus or to the Philippians, I got your money. 
he, the whole letter is about this mutual friendship, this love that is shared across the, the distance between Paul in jail in Ephesus and the Philippians uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And so uh, what's happened is, is that when you're in jail in the first century, it's not like you're in jail today. You're in jail and it's up to your friends to send you money and food and any supplies you need. And you can imagine, you know, Epaphroditus, this a Christian from Philippi, slipping through the cracks of the jail cell, pieces of paper and food and coins and money for Paul to continue on in his ministry. And Paul's saying, I got your gifts. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Now I am amply supplied by the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice. And the relationship that we see between Paul and the Philippians is one of mutual giving. The, you know, this is, this is someone they hadn't seen in years. They'd heard about his troubles. They collected up an offering and sent Epaphroditus, this, this young Christian, hundreds of miles across dangerous road to deliver it to Paul. They, they gave out of their own self-initiative. And you can see that this giving, this idea of giving across relationships becomes a key part of what it is to be Christians. And so Paul says, you, you gave this gift to me and they're a fragrant offering. Thank you uh, for this. But this idea of an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, that's interesting that he says that, isn't it? What does that mean? What's a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice? And we go all the way back to Genesis 8 to, to begin hearing this phrase coming in our scriptures. Then Noah, remember Noah, the, flood, the guy with the flood, um, built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the, all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Okay, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be someone who understands Jesus in the way of, of, of Christ, you got to get your minds a little bit into this ancient world where, it, where God says to his ancient Israelites, here's how I want you to relate with me. Literally take some animals, kill them, gut them, burn them, and I'll really like the smell of it. Okay, that's shocking, right? Like, okay, why God? Why? There's no real internal logic. We're never really given why God likes this. Um, it's not because he hates animals. We know he loves animals. There's something else deeper going on. Uh, so take all these, the clean animals, clean birds, and sacrifice them and burn them on an offering. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. When, when we look at the cross and see Jesus revealing God to us, a self-giving God who loves his creation. This kind of makes us turn our head a little bit. Okay, God, what, what do you, what is this? Um, what's going on here? Um, and all through the Old Testament, over and over again, this phrase comes up. It will be an aroma pleasing to God when you sacrifice. So I think what's underneath it, God, it's not that God loves death. The, death is God's enemy. But what's happening underneath this is that God's people are taking the very things that are most precious to them, these animals, the part of their livelihood, the things that are going to give them produce and milk and, um, and meat, all of these things that are part of their very livelihood, and they're freely offering them up in a sacrifice to God, which means that there's nothing more important in their life than God, they're going to um, um, give out of their 
not just out of their abundance, but they're going to give to God and to others. Because in the ancient world, when you go and you, you give your sacrifice, it's not like the whole thing just burns up. You're supposed to cut some meat off and then give it to the priest, and then you take some of it home to eat off of as well. We're not just, as, as people of God, when we give to God, when we give to others, we're not just giving out of our abundance, but we're giving out of our sustenance. The very things which could um, be for us, the things uh, which, which sustain us. And when God sees this, when God sees this kind of selfless giving, taking something that we that should have taken to sustain us and giving it to another, when God sees that kind of giving, and when we do that to him, he is deeply pleased. And that's what Paul is saying to Epaphroditus. He's saying, you guys sent me all this money and you didn't have to. And because of that selfless love, out of giving out of your sustenance, is a pleasing aroma to God. So we, we see from this letter that God is pleased when our relationships are marked by selfless giving. And it's, that, that seems kind of elementary, right? We know that. We're supposed to give in relationships. But I think giving in relationships is the very place where we go wrong. Having a posture of giving. And so, uh, of course, in relationships, when we give, we give our time, we give our money, we give our energy. I like this one. We give the benefit of the doubt. It's a hard thing to, 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 to relate with someone, and you're always thinking the worst of them. We can get into that posture, can't we? Thinking the worst of their motives. They're out to hurt me. They're out to, to be self-righteous. We give the benefit of the doubt. Now, here's the thing. Relationships are built on giving. And so, I don't know when the last time was that you wrote a little check to a friend who was in help or who was in need to help them out. I'm not sure when's the last time you went, you know what, I could be doing X, Y, Z, but I've sacrificed that time to give it to a friend. Um, your energy, I'm not sure when that was. And I'm not sure for you what you have to give. I don't, I don't know all of you super well. Uh, and so, you may be saying, okay, Giving in relationships, like you know, giving gifts is not my love language. I don't do that. I don't have the, the time or the money for that. Um, that's fine. Some of you don't. Some of you are in positions in life where you're, you're students or, or things haven't gone, gone right for you. And so you, you said, I don't have a lot of, to give in my relationships. But let me try to invite you today to think about all the things that maybe you could give today. So giving in relationships. We're going to just run through this a little bit. Uh, I put food up there because um, I've been in seasons where... I haven't had a lot. Even I went through three years when I was a student, three years when I wasn't sure we were going to have enough money in the bank to make it through December. And, um, and it was difficult. We, we had put all of our chips on the table to be trained up uh, in ministry, to, to be trained up into the ways of pastoring. And we thought, God, we're going to give it all to you, and you're, gonna, you're, you're not going to let us down. That's a, that's a challenging thing to do. It's a, it's a hard thing to, to put all your chips on the table. And there were seasons where I didn't have any money to give to church. And so I gave my time. I gave my energy. I taught. I, I asked where I could help. And we kept a record of all the ways that um, God provided for us. We have 70 examples in three years of when we were in desperate need. One time our house got ransacked when we were on vacation. 
my whole my whole library of books was just strewn all over the floor. I've got three thousand note cards in my little library that have to that have helped me learn Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And someone had come into my house when I was on vacation, and those they were all perfectly like organized based upon um, uh, words that appear most frequently in the Bible. Like it was just perfectly organized. Someone had come in and dumped them all in one big pile and sort of went like that. And then took money out of our kids' piggy banks and stole all of our silverware. And it just goes on and on. It was really weird. And the, the policeman said, uh, oh, we're so sorry. They've taken your TV. We're like, well, we don't have a TV. <laughs> we, we should have been opportunistic at that point, but we didn't. We didn't. But our neighbors, our church members were there for us. I mean, we have an awesome set of Oneida silverware now. That, that the old couple, retired couple down the street gave to us. And we have not so happy of a vacuum cleaner that someone else gave to us. Or we, that, I guess that died now, but it was not, not the nicest gift, but it was what we needed. Um, but then sometimes I would, we would seriously be looking, how's this going to add up? We're looking over our right shoulder. Do we need to do this? Do we need to do that? Do we need to give this up? And then something would come over our left shoulder, a check of, of, of some sort, a reimbursement. And it's not as if God was lavishing upon us all sorts of things, all sorts of gifts. It wasn't thriving by any means. But he gave us what we needed exactly when we needed it. And that's the God who we serve. And I don't know if you've ever been blessed to be in that position, to, to, to experience that. But God will not let us uh, starve. And when we're in community, this is especially true. If we're in community, being vulnerable in our relationships, there's a group of people around you in a, in a faith community that will uh, be part of the hands and feet of God. So what do we do? We give our time and our money and our energy and our benefit of the doubt. And sometimes all we have to give is food. And I'll tell you what, that is a real blessing. If all you have to give is a dinner or some food to someone, that's, that's a lot. Um, go get a go buy a bag of chips and coke for someone. I'm telling you, food just speaks to the human heart. Joy comes into the human heart through food. So, um, I know some people in my life who are amazing hosts, and they don't they don't have a lot to give, but they've got food to give. And when they do, I'm so happy. Uh, so um, we give to one another, but we also give small acts of kindness. Think about this. What are some of the small acts of kindness you can give in your relationships? Uh, I, I went online and Googled this. Google it yourself. There's so many great little articles online about small acts of kindness. Like, when's the last time that your loved one came home from a trip and you were at the airport having, showing a sign for them? Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be nice to come home from a trip and have that to be greeted by that? Or when's the last time... We not, we, we, we really don't use voicemail much anymore in our culture, do we? A lot of people just text, and you get annoyed when you see the little red thing come up on the voicemail. It's like, oh, someone left a message. Uh, and it kind of inconveniences you. Okay, let's work against that, friends. What, like, call and leave a, a lovely voicemail on someone's phone, just for the, not because you want anything, just because. Or what about a postcard? Maybe you've been traveling and you're, you, you've been away from your loved one for some time. Maybe send a postcard through the mail, even if it's going to not be there for, for weeks after you've arrived home. I guarantee your, your loved one will really appreciate that you've thought of them when, they, when you're gone. Or when have you shown up at your, your friends or your um, parents or your siblings' work and just said, hi, I'm not here for anything. I just want to say a quick hi. 
or um, for every 10 posts you make on your social media account, can you write 10 comments on someone else's thread that are positive? I don't know, these are little small giving things of acts of kindness. Uh, I'm going to talk, uh, by the way, I'm going to talk about intimate relationships and parenting relationships in the new year. Uh, we've gone through friendships and relationships in general, but just like we've done with Philippians and some practical points, when we get to the new year, I'm going to talk through uh, our intimate relationships and some practical points of how the cross works there to fuel our intimate relationships. And whether you're a parent or have a parent that's still living, um, there's, uh, there's lots of implications for cross-like love in those relationships. Uh, so we'll get there. Um, but when we think about relationships in general, there's lots that we can give. One, one last idea, the ministry of listening. Listening is such a great gift to give to someone. When's the last time that you allowed someone to vent and didn't try to offer a solution? That's a great gift. You're not there to try to fix anything. You're just there to say, uh-huh, tell me more. Tell, tell me about that. Why did that hurt you like that? Well, why, 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 why? It's a great question. It's a great gift we can live or give. And reflective listening. Um, not just sort of, like when's the last time that you were in a conversation with someone but you knew that they were somewhere else? Their attention was on the, the TV or, or whatnot. I've, uh, someone once told me, you go into a... Um, a, a doctor's office or a waiting room and there's always a TV playing. And he said, every time he goes in there, he just turns it off just as a social experiment. <laughs> just to see what happens. Do it. I've done it a ton. It's really fun. I mean, the, the receptionist sometimes get on, gets on your case, but most of the time they don't care. They're just, okay, you didn't want to watch TV. But you've created space and especially if you're there waiting with someone, could you use that time to ask them how they're doing rather than get zoned in? I mean, it's just like we're mayflies to a light. Or, one more thing here, let someone else educate you. In relationships, that's a thing that we don't do often. Hey, tell me what you know about, teach me this. And then you just let them teach you. Oftentimes we come in with our ideas and our expertises and our insecurities. Um, but here's, I think, here's where this can really go wrong, this idea of giving in relationships. It can really go wrong when we start to cons get consumed by what we're not getting out of the relationship. That can happen to the best of us. We get consumed with what we're not getting, whether it's emotional or physical or spiritual or social. We get obsessed with what we're not getting from relationships. And when we go there, when we get lost in this area of relationships, it can really go south quickly. And I would invite you to think about what can you do to avoid, at all costs, obsessing and dwelling not, well, on what you're not getting. How can you turn that around to think, how can I give? And Paul's really interesting here because Epaphroditus and the Philippians gave him some really amazing gifts by sending him food and money and supplies. But Paul says this, I'm not thanking you because I'm in need. It's not a very nice thing to say to someone who's given you something going all the way. I'll thank you, but I don't really need this. For I've learned to be content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who strengthens me. He says, I don't, des I don't desire your gifts. This is not a very kind thing to say, is it? Uh, thank you, but I, I didn't really desire what you gave me. Uh, what, what I desire more uh, is, that, is that more be credited to you. I'm going to unpack this a little bit because it's so important. 
Now, let me, let me caveat this here. Paul's not being very kind, it seems to us. His social reciprocity, we might say, is a little bit stunted. I'm not thanking you because I'm in need. Now, Paul's not saying this. Um, never receive from anyone. We, we know people like that, right? We try to give them something, and they're like, no, thanks, I'm okay. That's not how relationships work. Um, there's, there's this one little aphorism that I've learned about. It's that love is not perfected. Love is not perfected until it's perfectly received. So you can go about giving and giving and giving to someone, but if they're not receiving it, you know you can be frustrated. It can be a really frustrating experience. So Paul, I don't think Paul is saying here, be someone who is on their own, who doesn't really need from someone, who doesn't really take... Like I had a, a, a relationship once. Um, this is all goes public, so I have to speak veiledly online. <laughs> um, I had a relationship once, and I don't think they'd remember this experience. Uh, we ended up not being greatest of friends anyway. But we were, we were uh, friends trying to uh, lay the foundations for friendship. We were hiking one day in this beautiful park. And um, we got to this place where there was a river crossing where you had to actually get your feet wet. It came up to your knees to get across the other side. And this guy, he, he didn't want to get his shoes wet, which is fine, like no problem. And... Um, and so, but I was all for it. Like, I'm, I'm in this stream. Like, you walk on the pathway, I'm going to walk in the stream. So I stream walked for a little bit while he walked on the side. And fine, that's great. We got back to have lunch, and uh, he had forgotten his lunch. And I said, oh, here, have my apple. And he's like, no, thanks, I'm good. And it's like, that was the moment where I knew that the relationship was going to struggle. It just had this intuition about me. I'm like, you don't want my apple? Like, that's, why aren't you receiving this? When, when we were in, in relationships and building relationships, don't be the person who doesn't need to need anything. That's not that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not the secret to being content. Uh, we need to sort of give and receive, and when we perfectly receive. And by the way, for Christmas time and Advent time, we're going to spend our our season in the Book of John. And the major heart of what I'll invite us into is the question: How do we receive the love of God? So many of us don't know how to receive the love of God. How do we receive the love of God? Um, it's really important in this process of learning to be selfless lovers. Um, but don't, don't just give to relationships and not receive. Um, but Paul is saying that uh, in every situation, I have learned to be content with what I have. Uh, our, our, even our, my premarital counseling had, was, was we had a really good premarital counselor. Um, he did really good work, and sometimes we write him back and let him know some of the things that it ha have taken after 13 years. Um, but one of the things he said is that in any relationship, there's about 12 things you need. 12 things you need to be satisfied from another person. It's like any human being can only ever really meet six or seven of those. Is that true? I mean, you know that? And so that leaves like half of the things we need that one human being can't give to us. And it's easy to dwell on the six that we don't, aren't getting, isn't it? But when we begin to be content in every, and other, every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want, I've learned to be content. I have learned to focus in on what I have, not what I don't have. And Paul, when he gives his little narrative about what he's been through, you can tell he's been in seasons of real want, in seasons where he's um, not been getting what he needs. Um, but he's learned to be content. 
he's learned to focus in on what he has been, what he is getting, not what he hasn't. And um, this, I do not desire your gifts. What I desire is more that be credited to you. What he's saying is, I'm not, I'm not sitting here dwelling upon what I, what I need and what I don't have. What I'm wanting is to be someone who can receive your gifts. And because of that, God is crediting that to you. I'm wanting to be someone who allows other people um, to, uh, to be blessed by God in their selfless giving. Um, one of the things that, um, one of the questions that I've come across along the way are the, the asks about blessing. I want to give this to you today as, a, as an interesting thing. Sometimes we can get lost in what we don't, we're not getting out of a relationship, and we can really spiral downwards in uh, working against the relationships that we're in. Sometimes, if we get there, and we will, it's just easy to sit down and ask the question we're, to the person we're in relationship what are three ways that I've blessed you recently? It's a really interesting question. What are three ways that I've blessed you? Because what, what you're getting at is what is one more way that I could bless you? Like what am I failing at is what you're really trying to get at. What, what am I not doing here for you? And when you have a friend or a parent or a child or a partner who says, I want to bless you more, like who doesn't want that? So be that person in relationship. Be the person who, first, don't just start with, what, like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> okay, so don't start there. That never goes well. Um, you want to hear some good stuff first. So simply sit down with them. What are three ways I have blessed you? And that's awesome. Some, most of the time, a healthy relationship or a relationship that's generally healthy, you're going to hear back some reflection on what you've been doing good. And you need that. We need some reinforcement. But how often do we forget to ask, what, 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 how am I failing you? What am I not giving you that you need? And uh, that's, these are great questions um, to give in. So relationships. We remind ourselves again in the whole economy of Jesus' way that blessed are those who give. And that the happiest we are in life is not when we're getting, not when we're getting our needs met, but the happiest is when we're giving. And... Um, I just love it. Uh, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time when I get birthday money, most of the time I turn around and just give it to someone. Not because I'm an awesome human being, but because I've learned that I need practices like this in my life to keep me on the track of being a giver. When I get birthday money, I just funnel it to someone else, whether it's the first person I see. So December 15th, be here, 9 a.m. Or it's December 16th, be here, 9 a.m., and you might get some money. Um, I've, I've just realized that we are set free as human beings when we practice giving. Now, when Paul does this, as he teaches us, he's giving us a really good teaching on money. So I think I, as a pastor, sometimes it's awkward to talk about money, but I'm going to do that today, I bet. I'm going to dive into a little bit of teaching on money because we need some help oftentimes about what it means in our financial life to be uh, givers. And so he gives us this really uh, good perspective and the first thing we remember is that he is content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. Now, we, can't, we, don't, we don't need to be foolish about our finances as Christians. We don't need to just throw money to the wind. But we have to come to a recognition that, if God, that God is the God who has a thousand cattle. Or, sorry, I'm messing that up. Thousands of cattle on a certain number of hills. I'll learn that. I'll learn that sometime. He's a... Someone, someone once um, asked me if I was um, 
they, they just said, would you come from a good you know, lineage? <laughs> they were trying to get out if my parents were rich. I don't know why they were asking. And I said, my dad is a landlord, a wealthy landlord. He's got a lot, he owns a lot of land, and it's worth a lot of money. And they're like, oh, really? It's like, does he have a company? I'm, like, I'm talking about God. <laughs> <laughs> like, God knows our needs. He knows how to take care of us. Over and over again, the scriptures remind us. So whatever situation in life, if you get obsessed with what you don't have financially and you spend your life running after what you don't have to get what you don't have, I'm, I guarantee it's going to run into a bad way sooner or later. As Christians, with our money, we're not um, foolish, but we do trust that it's Christ who can strengthen us and care for us. And much of our dissonance, much of the dissonance we experience in the life is tied to the pursuit of money and projects. So what do we do in relation, or in, uh, about money? Just really to remember, I've, I've preached on this in the past. You can go way back into the sermon archives in the last three years to get some of this teaching in more depth. Um, but we want to keep our money under control. We're not just going to uh, get out of control with our money. We, we keep it under our control because money makes us arrogant and it wants our hope. Okay, I could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on this. Money makes us arrogant. People who have lots of money, it wants to make us arrogant. People who think, okay, I've got it all together. And it wants our hope. If you just had a little more in your bank account, if you just had a little more, what could life hold for you? What relationships could you have? that you don't have now. It wants our hope. It's this power Jesus teaches about money as this extra power, this alternate power to the God who we can't serve both of. we got to serve one or the other. And so what do we do? What do we do with this? Um, we give it away. We resist the power of money by giving it away. As Christians, that's what we've learned. Um, in the very foundations of the world, there is this tithing kind of principle Somehow when we give 10% of our money away to others, um, written across not just the scriptures in the Old Testament, but in the DNA of creation, that frees us from the power of money in a way um, that we need. Freed from uh, the hope of money, free from the power of it all. And so what we do is we um, take and give our money away and we turn it into ministry. We trans, some ways some people say this, transform money into eternal ministry, move money in a way that makes everlasting ministry, exchange earthly currency for heavenly currency. Whatever you want to do, our money is not there to serve us or for us to serve, but it's there to help us serve God. It's, it's supposed to be there to help us serve God. And so we get free when we keep our minds focused on this. And remember what Paul's saying. He's saying, I don't really need or want money from you. But I want you to be people who know how to give it away. I want this for you. I want you to, to live a life that's freed from the power of money. That's what he's saying when he's saying, um, I don't desire your gifts. I've, I'm content. I'm fine. I'm going to be okay. I don't desire them. But what I desire is more be credited to you. I desire you to be the kind of people that are free from the power of money. And so I'll take it because of that. And Paul's being very sincere there. Um, and as Christians... What we've learned is that somehow, when we combine our selfless giving out of our own resources, when we put that in a common shared pot, and we entrust that to the leaders that God has put it in our place and, and to, to lead us, something powerful happens. The collective sense of selfless giving, and again, it's not about the dollars and cents. 
It's about are we giving out of our sustenance and combining that together? And, and we have to ask the question, why did the Philippines give to Paul? Like, what was it in them that inspired them to give to him? They wanted to bless the ministry that he was doing. And that's why we give to church as well. Because here's the thing, we can see church as like another nonprofit, can't we? Like, Keith is standing up here, and, you know, we give baskets every week, and that pays for his salary, and we keep the building open, and it's a not-for-profit, and it does good things. Like, that's the world's framework of money. And it's true. We do need to keep the lights on and keep the coffee brewing and keep salaries paid. But if we see through the, the, the image of getting what grassroots can get from you, we've, we've missed the mark. And this is where I can boldly stand up like Paul and say, I don't desire your gifts. I know that many of you start to, leaders in church start to just really maybe um, feel that hard. Paul, it's the spirit of Paul. I don't desire your gifts. I desire for you to be people who can be selfless givers. And that's what he's teaching us here. Now, here's the thing. Like, it's true that, I think I have a slide for this. Um, it's true that grassroots has, shapes young people. We resource families. We orchestrate care and concern. We hold one another deeply in times of tragedy. We create spaces for belonging and formation. We create spaces for growth, your personal growth and encouraging you. We nurture faith. We draw people to the truth. And I, I stood up here uh, two years ago and said, we need to get to a place, I believe, uh, of a next level financially, which is $217,000 a year. And like, I stand here today saying, you guys answered that. Like, we're we're going to be on track if we do good in the last couple of months here um, and, and giving our offerings. Um, we're going to reach a 220K mark. Ooh, yeah, that's great. But here's the thing. It's not because you're giving to this non-for-profit organization that's doing good work. Like, that's not why this happens. That's not why we do this. Uh, we do this because we're part of a family, and we put in our, our, our offerings. Like, that's the thing. Like, sometimes you'll, you'll hear, well, we'll give your donations. This is, that's not the framework that we're in. This is not giving donations. We're giving our offerings which are pleasing and acceptable to God. And so we learn that even though this church is doing great things and even though we want to keep the doors open and even though we do sense there is room to grow and we've got some, some uh, real strides to make in, in establishing this type of way of being church, which we think more and more people should experience, we've got some work to do and we can grow for sure. And um, God willing, you know, we'll, we'll pray for that. And by the way, like, I think... I haven't put this out yet on, on the social media networks, but in case you're interested, next Sunday evening, that's the 17th at 7 p.m., there's a behind-the-scenes family meeting here at Grassroots about finances, a little bit of a celebrating of where we've come from and where we're going. So everyone here is invited to come to that. Uh, next week, 7 o'clock, we'll put this out through the channels of information this week. So uh, mark that on your calendars, and we'll talk more specifically about that. Um, and we'll talk a little bit of all the things we can celebrate. But in the end, we don't give um, because of what grassroots can get. Not what it's about. We're, we're shaping people into selfless givers. And it's, it's a really big part of it, is, um, the way we do this as a community. Um, so Paul, he's teaching us to give. He's teaching us what it means to be a giver. Someone whose life is oriented by giving out of our sustenance, not out of our abundance, but out of our sustenance, in our relationships with small acts of kindness 
and he's going to close off the letter, but um, I'm just going to give you a few action points today to close off. First, we're done with Philippians, so read it over again. It'll take you 14 minutes. Go home this week, put 20 minutes on your schedule, and read it out loud in the mirror to yourself. Trust me, it's powerful. Um, just to remind yourselves, once again, where we've come from in the last five weeks about uh, being people who are taking the love of Christ down to the practicalities of everyday relationships. Take a journal, open it, and write a little bit about uh, giving. To whom can I give something selflessly this week? Just maybe one thing. One extra thing that you wouldn't have done. Or record one time someone gave me something selflessly. We receive things selflessly, all, or that people have given selflessly all the time. And that just sort of moves over our imaginations. Like, make a recording of it, and uh, I guarantee that will help. Uh, make Set a goal. Uh, let someone else educate you this week. Like, make a goal. Ask a question, not because you want to show anybody anything, but to learn from them. Ask the four blessings question. Three ways I've blessed you. One more way I could do better with that. I guarantee it's a really powerful conversation. November 17, 7 p.m., come to the family meeting on money. And as we move forward, more on love to come. So I'm not sure what God has done with you today, what he's speaking to you, but I guarantee it's something. He's with us, he's speaking to us, and he's sharing us uh, with us, his heart. So that may be an, uh, a challenge that he's been given you. Maybe he's spoken a word of encouragement. Uh, you may be taking away something that I didn't even say today, but God has spoken in your heart. And I would encourage you to trust that. Trust your intuitions that God is with you and speaking to you. And as he does so, we come to the table every week reminding ourselves that Jesus, his whole way of living is marked by selfless giving. His whole way of being is marked by giving over to himself, himself to, to us. He has not come into this world to be served, but to serve. And we remember that and take that into our own way of being each week by the taking of, of the bread and the juice. So I invite you forward, friends, for the next couple songs and uh, respond to God however, you seem, uh, however it seems fit. The table is set, and everyone here is welcome.